here last week for Elizabeth uh, and her, her message. How many of you all cried when she preached? Yes. Um, you should have seen her when she was preparing it. Um, she's in my office and I hear her typing away. <laughs> and so it was very real. And um, I'm just really proud of her. I want to open this morning by reading to you out of Job 19 and 25. And then we'll pray and get into it some more. Job 19.25 says this. I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. I know my Redeemer lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And this morning, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come to worship you. Thank you that we can freely come into your presence, Jesus. And we recognize this morning that's because of what you've done, not because of us. So, Lord, we're so thankful for that opportunity to just be able to approach you. God, we know that you're everywhere, but there's something about being able to, to worship you. And like your word says, you inhabit the praises of people. It's our privilege to come into your presence. And, God, to know you, to sense your presence, and, God, to worship you and glorify you. Right now, we open up our hearts, God, to hear from you. That's your word. Speak to our hearts. Let it do what it's sent to do, Lord God. We thank you for it, Lord. I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit, that what's in your heart will be imparted. God, we love you. Just we receive what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we're going to be in the book of Ruth, and I want to give you a little bit of backstory on the book of Ruth. Um, there's a a family, um, the gentleman's name is Elimelech, which I just, I love that name. Isn't Elimelech a great name? It feels kind of Irish, doesn't it? It's not, it's Hebrew, but Elimelech, it just feels like you get Elimelech, you know. But he is married to a lady named Naomi. And in Judea, they have had this famine in Israel, if you will. And, and in this famine, they, Elimelech says, you know what, honey, we got to move out of town. We're going to go. And they, they decide to move to a place called Moab, which is an, another country, if you will, and says, you know, we're going to go there for provision and we're going to try to take care of our, our family. So Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons move to Moab. And over the 10 years that they're there, um, both the sons get married. One gets married to a woman named Ruth, which is what the, the book is named after. And the other one gets uh, married to a lady named Orpah, which every time you read it in Scripture, you think it should be Oprah for sure. But um, they get married, and it actually ends up being a really tough story. They move there because of famine. Their husbands get married, right? Or, excuse me, their sons get married. But then Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, passes away. And their two sons pass away. So if you can imagine Naomi, the mother-in-law, she's there as a widow, and her two sons have passed away. So now it's her and her two daughters who are from Moab, and they're in this foreign land. Can you imagine what that would feel like for Naomi to be there? And it's like, you know, like, this is not what I was anticipating. This was not the plan that Elimelech and I had for our lives. This is not what we foresaw happening. Um, I'm sure it's not, it didn't turn out the way she wanted. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And certainly Naomi what it, knew what it was to have hope deferred. The story progresses and Naomi gets word that back in her hometown of, of Bethlehem, the famine is over. 
and there's food again, if you will. And so she says, you know what, we need to move back. We, for our best opportunity for us to be, have provision and that kind of thing, that's where we need to go. But as they're getting ready and going, if you will, Naomi begins to have second thoughts about Orpah and Ruth and says, you know what, Orpah and Ruth, you got basically you all are Moabite women and, and you're, be, you're young and, and you could get remarried. Your best shot at a life and provision and a future is if you stay here, I'll go back on my own. And so she encourages them to stay and she actually does it two, three times. And Orpah decides, you know what, I will stay here. But then Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, um, makes this amazing statement that's pretty famous. And this is what she says in Ruth 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death, even death separates you and me. And it says, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined, I would say that's a determined statement, right? Like, I will die, you know, like, she stopped urging her to go. You know, it's really like a beautiful picture of commitment, of love. It's like a really big decision of Ruth's. Like, for a pra- from a practical standpoint, it would have been easier for her to stay in Moab. But her love and her devotion to Naomi, obviously they had become a family, and it was just one of those things where it just, it was where her heart was, and she makes this, this commitment. So Naomi and Ruth, they continue to journey, and they come into Bethlehem, and there's quite the stir. Like, everybody hears that Naomi's back, right? It's like, it's a community. They know who she is, and it's been 10 years. This is what it says in Ruth 1.19. So the two women went out until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. That's quite the greeting, isn't it? Like the town is excited to see her, and you know, they're, Naomi, hey Naomi, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I mean, it's quite intense you know um her her name naomi her given name means pleasantness and mara she explains means bitter and you know our our names today have meaning right a lot of us when we named our kids like i know what all of my children's names are their first name their middle name i love when i'm talking to children i'm like do you know the main the meaning of your name i just think it's the coolest thing but it's not first of mine typically right like my name Michael means who is like God. It's it's a praise. It's like who is like God, like giving him glory. Right. And so um, but we don't think about that when you say Pastor Mike or Michael or Mike, you know, you're not thinking who is like God. But that's what it means. But in their culture, it was much more tied that way. Like every time you would have heard the word Naomi, you're thinking pleasantness, pleasantness, pleasantness. They're like, Naomi, pleasantness. She's like, don't call me pleasantness. Call me bitter. 
that's stone cold right there. I mean, that's, that's rough. Naomi was in the, in the place where, if you could, you could say, like, the only thing that she could see was all the loss. And what she could feel was the bitterness and the pain. Have you ever been in that place where, like, the pain that you're experiencing pushes out the good things? Where the loss that you, you've experienced pushes out the, the good memories, where it feels like all you have in that moment is those failed expectations, those failed hopes, those, things that the, those thoughts of, I didn't think things were going to quite turn out like this. And it becomes the defining thing where all that you feel and all that you know in that moment is the negative part. And, and for lack of a better way to put it, it's, you know, that we have these moments where all we see is the, half glass, the, the, the glass half empty, right? And it's, it's real. And that's, that's what we're seeing in this in this moment in her life is, is that it's, it's so defining that she's like, call me bitter. It's not like, hey, my name's Pleasantness. I've had a rough couple days. I've had a rough few years. It's, no, call me bitter. Define me as bitter. You know, the bitter can cause you to do some unhealthy things. It can cause you to push away even the ones that love you. Because of the pain that you feel, and in that in that moment, it was almost like a like a check for the the community. A, yeah, I'm back, but I'm bitter. Not exactly the way to like reconnect, right? Now, what is beautiful is the reason she wanted Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab was actually for their good. And so, I don't want to paint the picture that Naomi has no virtue. There's nothing good inside of her. Like she's thinking of them, but obviously. Ruth doubles down and triples down is like, oh, heck no, we ain't going anywhere. I'm with you. Bitterness can also, it can cause you to drop, pull down everybody else around you. Sometimes it'll make you push them away. Sometimes it'll be like, you're all going down with me. And we're, we're all going to feel this together. You know, Naomi's loss was really substantial and painful. Um, the reality is Ruth's commitment to stay and her love for Naomi was actually really beautiful. The love that they had for one another was really beautiful. The fact that Naomi was considering Ruth and Ruth is considering Naomi and the way they, they considered one another's best interest above their own is just like really beautiful. The reality is, it wasn't all bitter. For Naomi, it may have felt all bitter in the moment. But it really wasn't the rest of the story, if you will. Last weekend, I was um, in North Carolina. Uh, Elizabeth was, she was not a substitute last week. She was scheduled to preach last week. And um, one of our sister churches um, in our MFI group, um, Pam Wikes, she passed away um, the end of August, and her and her husband are a lovely couple, been pastoring a church in Yakkinville, North Carolina for 26 years. If you want to know what Yakkinville is like, think of Goochland in North Carolina, and you're there. Um, and so we were in Yakkinville, North Carolina, and, and a couple months ago when she passed away, Daryl invited me and Elizabeth, we've been friends with them, and in our, our 
just role of serving them in our church network, if you will. We we went down there and we were part of the funeral and just their dear friends and we kind of walked through this with them. And Daryl is about 70, 71 years old. And um, fast forwarding over the last few months, she's been praying about what's the next step for him in his life. And it was going to be either transition the church and find somebody to come and take it over over this next season or maybe even take his church and his gifts um, take their their community into another community. And that's what ended up happening. It was a total God thing. The Lord opened the door. A pastor who's a good friend of his said, hey, would you come and help me? And just, I, I don't mean to be presumptive, but it was totally like a God grace thing. And Daryl called and said, this is where we're headed. I said, I think it's a great move. And he said, will you come and do our last service and be there? And so that's where I was last week. And Andrew and I went down there and we uh, we got into the hotel room the night before. This would have been last Saturday. And the moment I laid my head on the pillow, I just felt this grief come into my spirit. You know, sometimes you feel grief or sorrow in different places. Like you can feel it in your mind. You can feel it in your heart. But there are times when you, it's just gut, spirit, like in your gut kind of grief. And it was very sudden. It wasn't like I was thinking about something or it was immediate. And so I just was like, I said, Lord, what is that? What's going on here? The Lord spoke to my heart and just was like, it's it's Pam. You see, there's there's going to be a lot of grief tomorrow. You see, we're we're going to honor 26 years of them laboring as a couple and giving their lives and and laying their lives down. Um, But people in the room are going to be from one standpoint, honoring their story and their history. But in the other place, like her children are going to be there and their grandchildren are going to be there. He's going to be there. And her not being there is going to be substantial. And it immediately took me to this thought of like, you know, brackish water is where you have the salt water and the fresh water come together and you get this ecosystem of both of the salt and the fresh. And it made me think about like the bittersweet. And it was the Lord was preparing my heart and saying, you know, that, hey, tomorrow is going to be bitter sweet. And that it's going to be OK to navigate the both. That we're not going to just celebrate 26 years and just honor 26 years. And we're not going to just have a, a second memorial service for Pam there's going to be kind of this both, it's this both and, and it might not be clean and, and crisp, but it's where people are. And it's like God knows that, and he, he foresees it, and he understands what needs to happen. I'd like to suggest to you that Naomi was overwhelmed by the loss and overwhelmed by the bitter. But the reality was she was really in that brackish place because Yeah, she had lost so much, but look at this amazing young woman in Ruth who is committed to be with her and not let her be alone. See, she came back, and yes, she's feeling all the bitter, but she's she's got some fresh water with her. She's got some real pure love and real pure relationship. Ruth's love, her devotion, her Friendship so sweet and so sincere. And even and now it's been tested and they've gone through some things. And the, 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 the love that Ruth has is a commitment, a choice. She's given up security and a potential future. And I think a lot of times the holidays can be like that. 
where we have things to celebrate. I love what Elizabeth preached last week. I'm a little biased. I do know that, but, I, but I'm still going to say it. Um, she talked about how thankful in all circumstances, not necessarily thankful for all circumstances. I think that's a neat distinction. I'm not always thankful for everything that happens. I don't even think everything is God's explicit. He's doing it to you by any means. But thankful in all circumstances, there's always ways to be thankful towards God no matter what is going on in your life. And Naomi is in this place where she is feeling the pain and the bitter. And I think sometimes we can go into the holidays and for a lot of us it stirs up some things. It can stir up the loss that you felt in your life. People who aren't there that were around the table before or maybe the pain of of just dysfunctional family relationships. You know, it's just like everyone's at the table and there's these conversations that have been said or not said and those kind of things. And it's, it's not just pure fresh water, but there's some salty water in there as well. And I think sometimes the salty water will drown out the fresh or we'll push it all out and just, we'll, we'll push it way down and only you know, choose the fresh. And I think sometimes God's, uh, or I know God's a lot bigger than that. And I, I don't think he wants us in only one or the other. He's okay with the reality of it, but there's a place that he's taking us to. You know, when I've read the, the book of Ruth in the past, I always had um, the fact that I knew how the story ended, really influencing the way that I was reading it. And I, this is very common for us. I'm reading in the in the book of Ruth, and you know, we're only a few verses into the very first chapter, and we're in this place where Naomi has, you know, lost her husband and lost her two sons, but I'm thinking, but I know how the story turns out. Anybody ever read a story like that? It's like, you know, there's a there's a story in the Bible of a paralytic, and he's being carried by four friends, and you're like, yeah, yeah, he's a paralytic, but... We're like already to the solution in the story. We're like, but, 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 but they're going to go up on the roof and, but they're going to, they're going to open up the roof and they're going to lower it down. And Jesus is going to see their faith and he's going to declare a whole, I mean, it's going to be great. So much so that we can almost fast forward past the Naomi going, call me bitter. And the reality of where she is and what she's feeling. See, when I've read the book of Ruth, I, I always look forward to what's coming. And what's coming is Ruth, the daughter-in-law, she'll go out and she'll glean in the, the fields. It just happens that they move back to Bethlehem while there's a harvest going on. So she goes out into the field where they're harvesting. And the way the laws were written, it was written so that if you were in need, that you could go behind harvesters and you could go into a field and you could glean what was the leftovers. It was a way of providing for the poor. And so she goes out and she just happens to be in, a, in the field of a close relative. Just ha- you ever notice there's a lot of happens to in life that aren't just happenstance? That it's actually God coordinating things. You're like, ah. The story has got that all in it. She's there and she's gleaning and just so happens that the owner of the field comes by that day, the day that she's gleaning. And he goes, who's that girl? And they said, well, let me tell you about that girl. Her name is Ruth. And do you know that she's a Moabite lady and that she uh, decided to stick with Naomi instead of staying in Moab? And he's like, really? And he, he begins to take an interest in her. And, it, it, and, and, it, and he responds to that devotion that he sees in, in Ruth. And, and he says, listen. 
I want to make some extra provision for her. You guys who are, are um, uh, harvesting in this field, take some of it and just lay it down for her. Make it easy on her. Give her some extra provision. And guys, I want you to look after her. He provided her protection. I want you to make sure that she stays safe. He went to her and he says, listen, I want to encourage you to only glean in these fields and to stay with our, our women. Our men will protect you. It just so happened that she's in the right field and there's the right guy and he takes notice and asks the right question. And all of a sudden they go from this place where of, of poverty and wondering about what their future is to a place where all of a sudden they're immediately provided for in the, in the near term. Oh, how the fresh water can flow so quickly. Goes home to bitter, to Mara. And says to, says to her, listen, I, so this is what happened. And he goes, she goes, whose place were you at? Boaz. Oh, that's a, that's a relative of mine. And she, she's like, stick with that. Let's see what happens there. The story begins to fast forward and it just gets better and better. Um, Boaz makes this decision. You know what? I want to see if I can take care of her. I want to see if I can marry her and be her kinsman redeemer. And, um, he's, and so he has to talk to another man and negotiate with him to make sure that he can do it and all of that. And he goes through all the, these hoops and gives a shoe and all that. You should read it. It's really great. Um, tell that they negotiated with shoes. It was very convenient. Um, and she moves into a place of security and family. And it's such a picture of God's love for us. Boaz, you know, in every, in every place in Scripture, you can find a type or someone or something that points to Jesus. And Boaz is our Jesus in the book of Ruth. He is the king's kinsman redeemer and jesus is our kinsman redeemer i'm always when i read this book i'm ready to jump to the end to the hope to the provision to the love and sometimes we can miss the brackish places and recognize that there are places in our lives where there is this both and i'm feeling both the sorrow and the fresh, there is hope. And I think, I think it's really cool. I feel like Elizabeth's message last week and my message, they, they foot together really well because I think when you're in that brackish place, it can feel absolutely bitter if you don't know how to be thankful and don't know how to look for the fresh. If you can't in all circumstances say, yeah, this is terrible, but my God, I have this Ruth here. But my God, I have his graces here for me. But he does never leaves me and never forsakes me. Like there, there's always a yeah, but in the moment. And see, when we're reading this story, our yeah, but is the Boaz. We're like, hang in there, Naomi. Hang in there because your Boaz is coming. The Redeemer is coming. Just hang in there. But when you're in that moment, you see, Naomi doesn't see Boaz. And when we're in the moment... We don't see the Boaz. The point that God is trying to bring to us is that he is our Boaz, whether we see it or not. And that there's a Boaz in front of us in the midst of our brackish water. That there's hope 
No matter what's going on, no matter what season you're in, that if you're following Christ, if you know him and you've put your life in his hands, he has good plans for you. There is good in front of you. Yes, we're in a broken world and there's some messed up things and loss is loss and dysfunction is ugly. But we have a redeemer and our redeemer lives. I want to I want to encourage you that in the midst of in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, in the midst of trials, keep your eyes open for all the fresh water that's in the middle of your bitter. Don't miss it. And as you are able to give thanks and recognize the fresh water that's mixed in with the messed up stuff, it will really help you to know that there was a source for that fresh water and that there's a Redeemer who lives and is in front of you, and, and he has a way of reaching you. But it is important to know that for you to reach the Redeemer, you've got to keep looking for him, seeking after him, following after him. It doesn't just happen, but it's because we follow him and he draws us to himself. I love this scripture in Job. Don't say that very often. Um, in Job 19.25, and of course, you know, if anybody's gone through some stuff, Job's gone through some stuff. This is what he declares in 19.25. I know that my Redeemer lives. He's experienced a whole lot of death, a whole lot of loss. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? I, just, I want to encourage you today, in where, wherever you are, first of all, if you feel like all you are in is that salty, bitter place, I just want to tell you, it's not the truth. And I don't mean to dismiss pain, and I don't mean to, 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 to lessen loss, but I, I want to tell you the truth because the reality is in all things there are places we can give thanks because he is a good God. What's beautiful about Scripture is it shows us the nature of God. Like I love watching the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. You know, I, you know I'm sure that Jesus like went to a funeral and mourned. Like I'm sure he did, but they don't record it. Why? Because what they want us to read and what they want us to focus on is he, when he shows up, he raises the dead. Like, he, you know, it's like, and when he shows up to a sick person, he heals them. And, you know, it's like this, this picture of the goodness and the hope and the life that God brings. And there is this, this nature of God that we can hone into that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Like, that's the fresh water, if you will. He's the Kingsman Redeemer. He's the one we walk into. And that's where we're heading even in the midst of the bitter and the brackish. And that's the other thing I want to encourage you for, is look for what you can't see. And the way that we do that is through the eyes of faith. And it's not complicated, and I'm not encouraging you to like make stuff up. I'm saying look in the word of God and look at the nature of God and know that your God is good and know that your Redeemer lives and know that he has a plan and know that he has a future. I mentioned the book of Job. A lot of times we look at the book of Job and, we, and people will walk around and go, ah, I'm just a Job. They just, just proclaim all their loss in their life. And I'm making, a little bit, a little bit of, making it a little bit trite. But the reality is, yes, he went through 
an unbelievable amount of loss. If you read the end, though, God super blessed him. And I don't mean that to diminish the fact that the loss was real. But a lot of times people are like, well, I'm a Job. Well, then I'm looking for your blessing, too. Like, re- let's read the whole book. Let's get to the end. Like, let's look at the nature of God. And I just want to encourage you with that. Like, your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives in the midst of whatever you're walking through. And when you get to the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table or, you know, you have that weird family situation or you're there and you're, you're feeling the loss of someone, it's okay Obviously, for us to grieve and for us to understand loss and those kinds of things. But you've got to recognize the fresh water that's there and you've got to look to the Redeemer who's ahead of you.